Welcome back to The Chosen Life. I'm your host, The Chosen Lawyer. Today, you are in for a treat. We are meeting a woman who I call the one-stop shop for mental health. She's one of the original co-founders of a little something called Moksha Moto Yoga, our good friend, Natalia Brejek. Natalia, welcome to our show. Thank you, Jonathan. Thanks for having me today. I got to ask you, now you're saying Croatian, your last name to, to pronounce it. I, I would butcher it so badly. So please, how do you pronounce your last name? Technically, Brajak. Brajak. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And you're saying that people also call you Nat as well. Yes. Well, your friends and like we'd like to become your friends, Absolutely. obviously. You're in. <laughs> Wonderful. So first, I have to let people know how this episode was born. And it's amazing, you know, there's always a story as far as when somebody comes on the show and how I know them or how I met them and how, you know, it all comes to kind of comes together. When you and I connected, it was originally through social media. I believe it was LinkedIn, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. And I had manifested to the universe. I want to have an episode to bring people part of my love, part of who my identity is. And that's yoga, mindfulness, meditation. I call it the spiritual world. I said, we have to make one episode. We have to do it very soon. And we have to bring that message because I, I can tell you from my personal experience, yoga meditation changed my life. Like we would not be sitting here in this studio. This would not be going on if not for my decision to bring yoga and meditation into my existence. And all of a sudden we connect, we're talking on there. And then I always thought there was two founders of Moksha. I realized that there were three and I said, Wow. And then I read your resume and I said, yes, please. Can we, can you please come on? And you were only so gracious to say yes. So I know it was a long drive in. We're going to make it worth it, but thank you so much for sparing your time because that's your most precious commodity. Yeah, for sure. It's uh, I mean, I'm from Toronto, so it's nice to have the odd drive in too. So thank you for having me again. And, and you're based out of Guelph, is it? I'm in Guelph now. Yes. Yep. How long have you been in Guelph for now? 11 years. Amazing. Miss Toronto at all? Yeah. Uh, the hustle and bustle? Not so, not sometimes. I, I miss more just the cultural opportunities and, you know, art and all of the things that a big city affords. It's amazing though, Guelph, how much, I, I, I was there not too long ago. It's not the Guelph that I knew 20 years ago. Like Guelph mm -hmm. has grown by leaps and bounds. Mm -hmm. What brought you to Guelph after being all that time in Toronto? Um, well, after leaving Moksha and selling my studio, which was at Young and St. Clair, I had a plan to build a retreat center. And so I, so I bought almost 100 acres outside of Rockwood. And, and then different things in life happened and it wasn't really meant to be. So I had the land for a few years. And um, I was already living there with my son in Guelph and so decided to stay. It's a good place to raise a, a kid, raise a child. Amazing. And, uh, and life is good in Guelph. Mm, yeah, it's good. Yeah, I have a great community there. Amazing. I, I do want to talk about the Moksha part and, and the yoga studio. We will get to that, I promise. But uh, we're kind of gonna, there's a few items I wanted to cover off. Uh, one of the things I mentioned to you was I'm amazed at how many hats you actually wear. Okay. So in my mind, when I'm seeing your, your resume, the best way of saying it, you know, most people would do one of those items, maybe two. And it would take them a lifetime and they still would not quote unquote master it for you i can see your motivation it wasn't enough i want to i want to get into many different areas and help people in so many different ways was yoga the foundation of all this existence was that what what carried you through yes and and what brought you to, so if yoga is a starting point 
everybody I know has their yoga journey, right? What was your yoga journey? What, how did you first get introduced to the beautifulness of yoga? And how did you know that that was going to be part of your career, your existence? Okay, well, that's, yeah, it's a fun story. So I was living on my own in downtown Toronto. And I was, I had finished university and I was working at Canada Trust before it merged with TD. So I was still with Canada Trust and didn't, really want to stay in banking wasn't really my thing but I didn't know what it was yet and and I was active you know I was like riding my bike down Bay Street to work every day and kind of I wouldn't do that nowadays but back then I did and uh and so I had a good friend who one day said you have to come and try this yoga class that I do and I was like nah, no thanks not for me and it was Bikram yoga it was hot Bikram yoga and, Do you remember uh, which studio? Yeah, the little place uh, at Spadina and Bloor. Oh, right, right. Sasha Shkolnikov, if I can say his name. Um, he he had that little kind of like word of mouth studio, you know, wasn't super known. And so I, I went to this class and it totally kicked my butt, like totally. And... Was it a 60? Was it a 90? Do you remember? It was a night. There were, I think they were all 90s at the time. Okay. This was all 90 minutes. And the posture where you stand on one leg and you stretch the other one out straight. I was watching other people in the class do it in the corner of my eye and through the mirror. And I was like, yeah, well, my, my legs are too long for my arms. <laughs> that was what I rationalized in my head. And then I was like, but that's a challenge. I'm like, if that gets actually possible for me, I'm coming. And that was it. I was coming regularly after that. And for for just people to understand what what to you was a regular practice at that point was that two times a week, three times a week, every day, like what? like five to six days a week. So pretty much daily. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Amazing. And you know, to me, there's a separation in my mind from student to instructor to yoga studio owner. Mm-hmm. There's a mental shift that you have to accept, or you're saying, "I want to do this." I know a lot of people that take the instructional teaching. But they're saying it's to further my own practice, but I don't want to actually teach myself. How long did you teach for? Uh, did you sorry? Did you practice for before you decided? Okay, I want to go to the next level. I want to teach this. Two years. Also oh, fairly quickly. Mm-hmm. Okay, and then what was teacher? Where did you go for teacher instruction? How did that work? I went to to Bikram Studio on La Cienega, the old studio, when he was still kind of less than fifty people in a training. So it was early nineteen ninety nine. And he so and his the wife, real McCoy when the, the, the stuff McCoy. we saw in those uh, Netflix movies and shows the yeah. real McCoy you were the like old a, stuff yeah wow which you know I it was a really interesting and wow kind of time for me being in my late twenties and being in LA for two months and just doing something that felt so different at the time now at the time would, be, would that was it filled with uh, movie stars. Was uh, did he pull up in Gold's Rolls Royces and Bentleys? Like, what was the atmosphere like at the time there? Um, there was the odd sort of well-known person that would come to class. I think sometimes, but yeah, it was you know, it was it was Bikram. I don't know, it was L.A. There's kind of a cheese factor to it, you know, and uh, it was fun. And near the end of the training, we got to see his house. Yes, and that started to. Make me go, oh, yeah, something kind of the whole guru with the Rolls Royces and all that kind of, you know, I don't know. <laughs> and girls like combing his 
his hair and stuff. It's kind of weird. But it's it's funny because you know it's so cliche. Yeah. And you think this doesn't actually happen, but it happened. It does. Yeah, it did. And it happened for a long time, and it was just accepted because yeah. this person is bringing yoga to the masses. And one of the things that breaks my heart when you think about it is how beautiful yoga is, how many lives it, 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 it can touch and affect. But then, you know, when you're seeing that part of it, it's, um, it can sully it, I guess. And, and, I, and I always want to warn people, even if somebody else straight or did something wrong, don't blame the whole yoga society for it because, you know, there are most people come in with good intentions to help others. Exactly. And I, I you know, looking back, having hindsight, uh, I think that a lot of, I can't speak for for young men, but I know for me as a young woman, and I saw other young women interacting with someone that, on some levels, unconscious to them, they were fulfilling some kind of missing father role or something like that, getting some approval from like the teacher, was a big deal, and you know, just having somebody approve of you in some way makes you want to just please them, and so there was a lot of please the guru thing happening um and and that i didn't like playing into that so i didn't i didn't participate in certain things but i, I saw other people kind of going down that rabbit hole so so to go through bikram teacher training at the time how long was that process in la to get certified and then uh where did it roll from there so it was a two-month training very intensive like some days were two month consecutive mm -hmm. wow. yeah okay. yeah so i lived there and we did two classes a day except on Sunday. And then um, we we sometimes had like four, 12, 14 hour days, you know, long days where he would lecture into the night and we're falling asleep on the carpet. And, you know, it's, it was long days. Yeah, sounding a little cultish, but I guess yeah. again, that was the vibe of it. That was the vibe. But yeah. it's, it, you know, I've, I've read stories of other Bikram instructors and talking about that once you experience it and you, and you create this sisterhood, brotherhood, that you want to be in this world and that's the way it's done. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So then you're all freshly graduated after two months, excitement in the air. What was the path from there? Open a studio. So not to go work in a studio? <laughs> well, yeah. that was the stepping stone, but I knew yeah. that I wanted to have my own studio. Amazing, okay. Yeah. So, so I taught for Sasha for a bit and started looking for a space. Almost right away. Um, yeah, like probably within a year or so. Ambition was with you from a young age. That's a, that's yeah, a, yeah, I never wanted to work for anybody else. <laughs> that's been a common theme for a lot of people that have been on this show. No matter their walks of life, it's amazing. Like a lot of self-starters, people motivated, they want to create something. They want a control of their destiny. They want control of their life. Yeah. So the studio was where? So that was, that was an interesting story too, um, because I started looking for spaces and there were about three spaces that almost came through and then they didn't. And I was teaching out of my second spare, like my spare bedroom in, I had a little apartment at uh, Keel and Bloor. And so I had mirrors on one wall and I could fit three people in there and I had little heaters going. So I had a little hot box studio yes. of my own. And and my mom entered this picture with kind of a bit of a spiritual teaching for me at the time because I was starting to doubt the fact that the space didn't come through. Does that mean I'm not supposed to have a studio kind of thing? And, mm -hmm. and she said, no, no, I don't know about that. 
she said, just give your worries to God. If you still really want to do this, she's like, give your worries to God at the end of the day. And I was like, really? <laughs> but then I did it, and it was very, uh, I felt at ease at the end of the day. Okay. And I was like, okay, I did everything I could today. Mm -hmm. Tomorrow's another day. And then finally, I got a space on Merton Street. Okay, okay. Young and Davisville. And uh, time between when you found the space to when you actually opened up the uh, studio, how long did that take? Uh, the renovation probably took about four or five months. Okay. Yeah. And then opened up and we're ready for business. That was it. Broke even the first month. Wow. Yeah. You know, most businesses take five years. You took a month. Yeah. Amazing. So you were very happy at this point. It's, uh, I guess, a jubilation. And then how long did it stay at Bikram Studio before you decided, I need another change? It was about a couple of years. Yes. And so I was uh, I was working with Ted Grand at the time, too. He trained a little bit later in the same year that I did. And Jessica Robertson opened the Danforth studio so it was all Bikram at that point yes and then uh, we got together and so well anyway this was, was, that, was that teaching as well or yeah he was traveling around for diff from different studios like one studio to another and spending sort of part-time different places and Bikram was not saying some nice things about us because we didn't have a carpeted floor and that's kind of the gist of the story and we just thought, like, maybe we don't want to align with, maybe we just don't align anymore with kind of how he's doing things and what he's saying. And, you know, our platform isn't to tear people down, you know, so. I assume the carpet was the uh, straw that broke the camel's back, so to speak. But there is, I'm sure, other factors along the way, right? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I didn't have a carpet in the little spare room in mm -hmm. my apartment. And then I thought, why would I put a carpet down in my studio then? Mm-hmm. It also feels just, that yeah. you were saying the reason you opened a studio, you don't want to work for somebody else. But really, at the end of the day, the way he was very rigid in how he organized things, yeah. it's your own studio, but you're still working for him, in effect. Right. To, right. to some extent. Right. And really, he had no jurisdiction. You know, yeah. I mean, we were using his name with integrity, I think, and all of that. But then when we realized, well, maybe we're not because he wants us to do certain things and we're not doing them that way. And also using his you know script verbatim we didn't do that either and so we just thought well you know we're gonna we're gonna do something unique but still honoring what we've learned from him when i figured out ted's last name i said ted grand that's sounds very familiar around these canadian parts yeah and it is grand and toy which was the business depot back in their day how the heck did this find this man find yoga coming from that line of work yeah, I don't know, actually. I don't remember exactly how it came to him. But I guess he just wanted to trail his own uh, path. He decided that it's a different route than selling pens and papers, I yeah, guess. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so the three of you friends, you come together, and I guess you're you're having lattes or you know kombucha or something and saying, let's do this. Yeah, and it was kind of scary because we were doing well business-wise you yes. know people always used to say oh it must be so relaxing to have a yoga studio I'm like no it's not it's it's a business taking a yoga class is relaxing but running a business is running a business so anyway um so we we created this like a strategy to deal with our fears and our you know potential risks to the business and so we were like hey these are like our fears and what what are the worst case scenarios that we think could happen if we change the name and do something different? 
And then we did a, another list to safeguard against, well, what, could, what action could we take with this fear? What could we take with that one? And we started to build in a plan, and it, it worked out really well. I would say so. Huh? Yeah, yeah, it did. Because <laughs> it's amazing. Right up until the time that I, I would say Bikram got eradicated from the earth, so to speak, people that were still in Bikram were in Bikram. Like, you yeah, know, yeah. they were very proud of that. I met people and they said, what do you do? Oh, I'm in Moksha. Well, I'm in Bikram. I'm, I do hotter classes, more intense classes. That's the real, you know, and it becomes this whole divide. It's, it makes me think, I don't know if you've ever seen this on YouTube, but I've seen like in the United States, they actually have yoga competitions. Yeah. Like the way they have figure skating, doing yoga poses, and they're actually judging them. And that's so anti what yoga would be. So that's where it, that made me start to think when somebody compares their studio to somebody else's studio, and I'm doing a better yoga, more intense yoga. It's all yoga. Let's just. It's all yoga. Let, and, let's and, run with it. And you know, the fact that hot yoga was even seen as a genre, it's not. It's just yoga in a heated room. It's just yoga. Well, I can tell you, no. my, my first experience ever was at a moksha. Uh, a girlfriend at the time took me. It was in the, it was the Woodbridge location while they still had it. And then became, I think, a yacht, hot yoga wellness. And uh, she said to me, the only class I can find for us after work, it's going to be a 90-minute advanced class. I said, bring it on, sister. No problem. I'll do it. I died 45 minutes into it. <laughs> I laid in Shavasana the rest of the 45 minutes. I'm like, you got to be joking me. I'm out of here. Never again. And then six months later, I went back and then I was I was hooked. Yeah. But, you know, I love the fact what attracted me to moksha versus other types of yoga was simply because of the, the inclusiveness. You know, there was accommodations for people. There were all sorts of levels of classes. And no matter what level of class you're, you're actually doing, they still find a way to make you feel included. You know, right. and I love that. So I presume that was the idea, the whole birth of this was let's bring yoga to everybody where no matter what level you're at, everybody can relate to this. Yeah, exactly. And, and you know, Bikram used to say using props, for example, he used to call it furniture yoga and he was very insulting about it. And at it's the end, though. yeah, well, it is. <laughs> yeah. At the end of the day, you know, yoga is for everybody and it should be. And it's not about, it's about doing the posture as well as you can with the limitations that you experience, which could be, you know, multitudinous. So. And for some people, you know, it's mental and some of it's physical. I can tell you when I started going, I was in the back of the class, watching the people in the front of the class saying, who the hell do these people think they are? They think they're such hot shots and I'm never going to do this. My body can never do it. It's not going to happen. And then some point when I let go of those limitations and I made myself a deal, I said, you're going to get through the whole class without looking at a clock, number one. And every class, I just want you to get better at one thing. I just want you to try to get even a millimeter deeper into one pose. If we do that, we're good. And then as you build on every little extra step, it's amazing how it comes. But the, the most common thing I hear about yoga when people that are, aren't practicing, oh, that's not for me. I can't do it. It wasn't for me. And I said, how long did you go for? I went to two classes. I hated it. I can't, I can't sit still. I can't do these poses. I said, if you can't lie down even so much with your thoughts and you can't hold these poses, you need to go. Yeah. This is made for you. So it's overcoming, you know, if, you, if it doesn't challenge you, it doesn't change you. I love that idea. But I, I can't imagine life, especially, you know, we're from the Toronto, Ontario, Canada area. You know, but Moksha grew, you know, beyond, you know, I don't know if it was worldwide, but it definitely spread across 
uh, many regions. I can't imagine life without that form of yoga. If mm-hmm. you hadn't birthed that, I can't imagine what yoga would look like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it was a, a, a amazing thing that just that happened. Really, it was a very. It happened with a you know group of collective a collective uh, group of in, in very committed individuals that you know decided to form a community. So, yeah. How did you come up with the name Moksha at the time? Do you recall? Yeah, there was a lot of debate. There was sort of like a lot of different names kind of thrown in a pot. And then we would, we were mulling over like, what does that mean? And how does that embody what we're, what we're kind of about at the core? And so. Do you remember what some of the candidates were? Were like, was like badass yoga one of the options? Yeah, badass yoga. Um, What did we have? We had things like. Like, like there were different names, you know, like Hindu words. Yes. Um. But they were, they just didn't kind of clinch it. And, uh, but then, yeah, but then there was the, the challenge with Moksha was there was a studio already established in, I believe, Chicago that, a pretty well-known studio that had used that name. And so then that led to the, the recent name change, Cause it, yeah, because which you, I wasn't part of, but yeah. Right. I was going to say that that already was, that preceded you, but do you, you have Moksha going in Canada and then when it was in the States, it was Modo. Yeah. And then eventually just adopted the Modo name altogether. Right. But do you recall who came up with the Moksha name part of it or the Modo? I don't remember at this it's, point. It goes, it's so who far. came up with Moksha, yeah, because it yeah. was such a, a long time ago, yeah. I always pictured in my mind when it, when it was done that it was like a eureka moment. It's like one of those things that like, you know, lasts in people's memories. But when time passes, it's amazing how things change, right? Mm-hmm, yeah, yeah. Feels like a like a lifetime ago. <laughs> what what was the, it, and it was it was yeah. like three lifetimes ago really yeah. in some ways. Uh, what was the original plan from Bikram to go into Moksha? As far as did you all have a plan as far as number of studios where you wanted to head at that point? Not really. Uh, it was really organic. Um, so there were, I think there might have been three studios at the time that became a Moksha. It was the Davisville the Danforth and there might have been one other one and then little by little like you said some people were like no nah, I'm doing Bikram and we didn't have those people they didn't come back yes. and that's that's fine and so you know over time when we had a teacher who was teaching for a while and we started doing our own teacher training you know well, I'd like to open a studio now okay well and we sort of just followed this model of like what felt kind of right what's the respect respectable difference uh sorry distance to be away from another studio so that there's still a pool of people that can support a studio you know and Mm -hmm. uh people don't have to travel too far but then we're not oversaturating and so we started to kind of really plan out like well how far do they need to be from each other also based on population and things like that and so it was really organic and then we just had like a, a sort of a loose system where someone would run it by us an idea and we'd say well it'd be great if there was one in this area are you willing to go there and some people would start them in a different city and then it started to grow from there i was amazed at how it exploded i came into the picture first class was 2000 and i'd like to i'd like to say now 2009 and then i slowly built up into it from there but when I when I came into it into the moksha world, like it was, I'm not gonna say it was Bikram, but it was definitely like the we called each other mokshis. Yeah, yeah. And and they were a tight group. And there was the international pass, 
where you can pay the one time for the year and you go to any moksha you want. And yeah. I did that for a few years. And every weekend I'm like, which moksha do I want to go today? I want to go to Hamilton. I want to go here. I want to go there. And it was so cool to know you're doing a moksha class, but it's a total, it's a different vibe in each studio. It's different instructors. Mm-hmm. And it was a ton of fun. Yeah. Yeah. I remember those days. Yeah. And, you know, your path, uh, you know, I was mystified, uh, you know, as I was reading through and I was thinking to myself, I have to ask her, when you make the decision to come to yoga, then you make the decision, I'm going to learn and I'm going to teach this. Then I want to open up a studio. Then I'm going to open up a brand. And that's your baby. I mean, really, right? You eat, breathe and sleep this living creature, which becomes its own entity, essentially, yeah. right? How, how do you walk away at that point? Like, how hard was that decision? Um, I mean, it was it was not easy for sure. There were other things, but and at the same time, there were other things pulling at my attention. Um, I had my son in those later years, and so I had I had my son a bit later in life compared okay. to many people, and I really was wanting to be a very hands-on full-time mom. Yes, and and then the dream of having a retreat and you know, being in the country and I wanted a homeschool and there was a lot of other dreams that were, and then the psychotherapy, I started training as a psychotherapist. Uh, I guess it was 2006 or so. And so those things were kind of calling me from, from a distance and yeah. It's a topic we actually covered and we were talking before off air about uh, the documentary series I'm doing, uh, Chosen Journey. I bring on a former uh, MLB pitcher, his name is Steve Carsey, and we do a documentary about his life and his path, his journey from uh, baseball player to baseball coach. And it's funny because we had this one clip and it was up on TikTok and it broke 500,000 views. Wow. It was the point where he made the decision that he was going to step away from coaching because he has a young son. He's about 11. And, you know, it was time. It was in the winter time. And uh, spring training was coming soon, and his son is—he's driving his, his his son from school, and his son asks him, uh, "Dad, is it time for spring training yet?" He goes, "Yes," and his son says, "Well, that means you're probably not going to be around this summer, are you?" He goes, "Well, you know how it is now with coaching." And his son looked at him and said, "I'm really going to miss you, Dad." Mm-hmm. And it was so—it was so real. Like I had to hold back the tears as he was saying it, and and you know he talks about his family, he thinks about, and then he makes a decision. I'm going to I'm going to step away from the game right now and I'm going to focus on my family and other pursuits. And the commentary and debate all of a sudden that comes through is for a great father. I wish I could do that. They start people start talking about their own stories of how right. they change their job, location. It, it invokes a lot of emotions within people whether you're a single parent or you're two parent family and making those hard choices. But sometimes they're not that hard because at the end of the day, when you're looking at that, at that, at that child that you brought into the world, you know, they become priority number one. So it's funny you say that. And I think in my head, Moksha is your baby, the yoga studio, the, the, the franchise is your baby, but then the baby baby yeah. goes above that. Well, I was fortunate to live a really full and exciting and interesting life with the yoga studio and, and, I traveled a lot and I did a lot of really great things that meant a lot to me. And, and then becoming a mom after that was like icing on the cake. So, And it, it set me up, fortunately, to have the, the means to, to do that. So. so at the point when uh, you say goodbye to Uptown and uh, the new person is taking it over it, uh, was it hard or was it an easy transition, do you think? Uh, at the time? 
Yeah, it was. I mean, it was. It was a little hard. I. I. I was. I had. I had some. You know, fear. I guess. Like, is this the right thing? And I'm taking a big risk. But looking back, you know, when you have a few decades on your life, you start to see your patterns a little more clearly. And I think I'm just a risk taker. In some, I'm like I'm not like a skydiving kind of risk taker, yes. but I'll do certain things that some people might go. There's no security in that. How are you gonna? I don't know. But I always just I know that things just work out in the end. Well, Stephen, that's my I, mantra. Well, Stephen and I were talking about it last night over text. It's funny enough we say this, and one of the things that he met, he sent me like a few mantras actually that he carries with him, and one of the things is there is no regrets in life. We made our decisions. Maybe we could have gone one direction this way, one direction that way. But if we made one change, everything else could have changed. And then we don't have those people in our lives, and we're not doing what we're doing. So it all worked out at the end. Yeah, exactly. That's it. Yeah. And then we're smarter for it the next time. Yeah. So so walk us through then when the decision to transition from yoga psychotherapy was next. Yeah. Um, yes. Part of the package, I would say. Not that not that it replaced yoga, but it, it, you mm -hmm. added to your arsenal, so to speak, of mental mm -hmm. health. Yeah, so I was I was drawn to so I, I did vipassana meditation, uh, probably like two thousand and three or so, and that was a big game changer for me too. Did you did you do that in uh, Cooks, Cookstown in Toronto, uh, well, Ontario? They didn't have a center yet, oh. so they were running it out of gypsy camps, and okay. uh, it was at a a camp in Minden, okay, like a scout camp or something in Minden, and really very very rustic and uh, like not. It's particularly beautiful, uh, but everyone was, of course, super kind, and you know, I was, I still had a roof and I had food and everything, and so, got to experience that, that, uh, all that generosity and the the teachings, uh, given freely without any expectation of me giving back, and that was that was really deep for me. I gotta tell you, I saw. I went to an open house for it, and they do have a center now. They they yeah. centers all over. Yeah. And vipassana is just it's so attractive to me. The idea, ten days, disconnected from the world. Nobody's calling in your cell. No internet. No phone. And no talking. You don't have to listen to anybody, and you don't have to talk to anybody. You eat. You meditate. You sleep. The end. Yeah. This is the life for me. Yeah. <laughs> I've heard people running crying and screaming out of there that they cannot be alone with their thoughts yeah that they like and i know and, and i'm like tongue-in-cheek with it but from a mental health standpoint you know we could joke about there are people that do that in 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 uh in shavasana before a yoga class that they cannot be with their thoughts alone they just can't deal with that so if you can't sit there for five minutes before class yeah try doing it for 10 days the people that i know that have gone through it are so mentally strong and speak so highly of it. Was that was? Would you feel that's a life changing event for you? Oh yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. Yeah. And and how do you feel you were different after you came out of that experience? Well, one really glaring thing that yes. came I came out with was ninety eight percent of what we say every day is really of no value. <laughs> so, myself included. Um, you mean the stuff that we're worrying about all the time is not a big deal? Yeah. Most of the time? Basically. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'll go with that. Yeah. Yeah. We really spend, I guess, to the point of mm, fruitlessly, you know, it's it's fruitless spending on on things that really don't matter, you know. And, and then one of the difficulties of coming back from an experience like that is, 
you know, you're just another layer more in touch with the pain of the world and the circular nature of that pain and how it just, it's like a merry-go-round, it keeps going and going and going. Did you know psychotherapy would be the next route before Vipassana or that's, or after Vipassana that kind of led you down the road? I think it led me there, yeah. And why psychotherapy out of all things? Um, I don't remember exactly. Again, I don't remember mm -hmm. how I found the program, but I it was before the regulations were in place, like before CRPO okay. was around. And so I came across, actually, I think I might have already been seeing my, my therapist, Moira Keynes, and she was partnering with someone to run the uh, Transpersonal Psychotherapy Center. And so I, I jumped into their program. And it was like a three-year group therapy structure, so gestalt-based, and there was holotropic breathwork and all kinds of different things that we covered, and, you know, altered states of consciousness, and, you know, a lot of interesting sort of spiritual leaning into the to the work. And and that was right up my alley because I mean deep down I'm I'm still the little five year old with the glasses and the buck teeth wondering why doesn't everyone just get along you know that's who I really am. A lot uh, of us are reduced down to that five year old that was innocent in the world didn't ask for it and um, you know our, our our own insecurities. It's amazing how they come up and they carry with us as adults. Right. Yeah. But psychotherapy, when you know, I don't, I don't know much about it. And when I hear the term, I'm thinking, you know, do they put things on your body and shock uh, you? Like, what are they doing? But this sounds a lot to me like mindfulness and living in the moment. Yeah, I would say so. It's, it's really mindfulness about your patterns, your thoughts, uh, compulsive behaviors, uh, compulsive, you know, things that are triggers, you know, things that that trigger you on an emotional level to respond in certain ways. So people sometimes say like, oh, I have a problem with anger. And, you know, I, I like to work with, with the layer deeper than that. It's like, okay, so you, you have anger, but what is it about? And what's, what's that about underneath that? You know, like, well, what does that mean about you? And that's not often where people go. It's so externalized. It's like, well, I don't like it when they do that or they do that. Cause, and then there, often there's no stopping to go, well, why do I feel like that about that? There's no self-reflection. Yeah. Yeah, it's amazing. I, I read once a, a quote, and I've seen it many times since then. When you meet a person, if they trigger new anger, you're not actually mad at that person. They're a mirror to you, and you're seeing the worst you in whatever sense. So for some reason, they're bringing something out of you, but it's not, most cases, it's them. It's actually you. Yeah, like I think the sort of a, an introductory principle that was put out in my training early on was, you know, when someone triggers you, it's like a denied or a repressed part. So now how does that fit into this word? I was fascinated with it. I haven't heard this one before. So you're going to need to walk me through this. Eldoa instructor. Oh, Eldoa. Yeah. So what the heck is it? And I, 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 I can't even read these words. So first of all, what does Eldoa stand for, please? Okay. So... So this is going to jump back a little bit towards the yoga. Um, so I feel like yoga is the warm-up to Eldoa. Yoga is the warm-up to Eldoa, okay. And it is a French acronym. Okay. And when you translate it, it stands for Longitudinal Osteoarticular Decoaptation Stretches. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> Please tell me more. So it's created by Guy Voyer, who's a French osteopath, and 
most people that are studying osteopathy, maybe everybody would know Guy Voyer, I think. And so Eldoa is, there's, a, there's an Eldoa posture for every joint in the body. So there's six levels of training. I've done three, which covers, you know, shoulders, sternum, spine, and hips. And then the, the other levels of training from four to six go more into like cranial bones and a lot more specific. So people can, you know, get a lot of very specific kind of work for traumatic injuries and things like that. Um, so I did that. I started training in that in 2017. And you're still doing it to this day? I still do it privately with, with people. I've been thinking about starting a class somewhere, but I, I had a little studio in Guelph that I opened before the pandemic, and then I had to close it down, unfortunately. Yeah. heard that story a couple of times, unfortunately. Yeah. It's such a shame. So many great yeah. studios were lost to us during this time. It's, yeah. uh, it breaks my heart. That being said, Aldoa, uh, somebody listening to this now, who is the candidate to take an Aldoa class? So mostly anybody. Um, I would say like there's some contraindications with pregnancy. You're only allowed to do certain sections of the spine. And if you've had certain kinds of surgery or injury, you know, you're supposed to work kind of around. But, you know, they make the Eldo accessible. So it's, it's really a way of putting your fascial system, which is a, an interconnected web, right, in your body. Yes. And you put the fascia into tension. And the way that you put it into tension in a certain way targets that specific joint that you're working on. And it strengthens the muscles right at the joint. It's not what yoga does, actually. So when you have a, you know, an Aldoa practice, you're sore in a totally different way. And then you get all this more freedom of movement and ease. So yeah, it's, it's pretty amazing. So it's not necessarily meant to heal injuries. It's to really deepen a yoga practice or deepen one's body, I guess. Uh, I, I would say that it, it's, it's, it works for people post-surgery because, you know, like fascia can get gummy and stiff and you know with scar tissue mm -hmm. and so then that starts to kind of pull you know something that's pulling in one place is going to pull you know we have all these rotations and little things that we do compensations we're not really aware of and yoga classes are so big usually you know teachers are not well enough trained to to be able to see those kinds of things right. much less correct them in the time that they have so so although classes are very small and the positioning is very precise. I think that's very so, neat. I, I'd never heard the term before. And I, and I, it's funny because, you know, you think of yourself, you know, as you get into a, a yoga practice, I'm so spiritual, I'm getting to the spiritual world. Now I'm, I'm learning a little bit of meditation, but there's so many different outlets. Like the more you learn, the more you realize you don't know anything. Like yeah, there's so totally. many ways to go about it. Uh, in line with that, I, I saw another term that, that you had on your website and I thought this was pretty cool. Because, you know, I'm a 70s dude. So psychedelic integration support. Okay. So is that like a disco with uh, narcotics <laughs> or what, what? what is a person doing psychedelically? So if someone has taken plant medicines like psilocybin or ayahuasca or, you know, LSD or something like that, um, ketamine, and and they have, you know, some kind of experience that they can't really explain or they're curious Trips. about a trip yes. yeah 
um, you know, there's a lot of people doing integration work, so helping people kind of understand or how to how to bring the insights they receive from from different psychedelics into their lived experience. And so if someone has done something, we can talk about it. Or if they're planning to do it, you know, I can help support them around ah, that. So this is more like counseling, not actually the experience itself. Yeah, because I mean, right now it's, it's those kinds of things are in trials and, and research at the moment. There's so much talk of ayahuasca and there's so much debate just alone within the yoga community, people pro, people against, and the people that are running it and there's so much misinformation and there's a lot of trust involved with it. Uh, I've seen people on all sorts of sides of the camp of it. Do you, do you have a feeling one way or the other about it? I don't stay, I don't really get into the conversation too deeply, so to speak. Mm -hmm. um, I've, I've been journeying with ayahuasca since 2005. Oh, so okay. I've done it many times and it's part of my, my personal practice. Okay. So I would say like for me, uh, you know, psychotherapy, yoga, and, you know, meditation and ayahuasca are like kind of the, the pillars for me around self-care. It, so I can see as far as counseling from it, if you've experienced it yourself, it's so much easier to discuss it, right? Because oh, yeah. you are and have been in that world. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what was the decision to do ayahuasca for the first time? What uh, Was it with friends or was it something that you thought for a while? What was your journey like? Well, it's funny. Um, I I read, so two years before, about maybe two years before, mm -hmm. Sting put out his autobiography. And if you read Sting's autobiography, he starts the, cha the first chapter. He describes his first ayahuasca experience with his wife in the 80s. Everything in always Brazil. comes back to Sting. I know, right? It really does. Everything is built around this man. And then I always see this picture of him doing a headstand in an airplane, you know, like, but anyways. Um, yeah, he's a pretty fascinating guy. So I've always had a thing with, with Sting. And uh, so I read his autobiography, and then I'm reading this chapter, and I'm like, what is he talking about? And he's describing the experience and how he's revisiting childhood traumas and his family and all these things. And... And I and then so fast forward two years later, I got an invitation from a friend I met through yoga. Yep. And I just implicitly trusted this person, and he said, "Like you won't regret coming." So I said, "Okay." So I trek over Famous to last words, right? Yeah. So I trek over to uh, the Laurentians, and there was a, a retreat held, and it was amazing experience. And then yeah. How do you plan the next sessions? Is it just when you feel the urge to do it or do you do it regularly or how does it go for you? Yeah, I, I guess I guess I would say that it's a combination of the, having the calling yes. and the accessibility. The, the person who hosts it, are they called a shaman? So the person I work with doesn't call himself a shaman. Okay. Um, I would I call him a musical shaman. He 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 facilitates by holding the space musically. Okay. And he's been, at this point, I think over forty five years doing this. So he's very. And he's still walking upright. Yeah, yeah. He's oh, he's good. an amazing amazing man, and really he's he's just helped cultivate this global community of people that drink together in community, like people from all walks of life from every religion like i met the best people from israel for example like i named my son uh, a hebrew name because there was just so many people from israel in that circle and um is his first name sunshine by any chance 
with the with the s oh my son no the uh oh no it's karaoke okay his name's karaoke um so my son is his name is shy and uh well that was close yeah i know i had a t-shirt made for him when he was little and it said son dash s-h-a-i and then dash um n-e so sunshine yeah because when you're talking about these musical, and like, I, know, I know a guy that he goes by the name Sunshine, oh, okay. and I thought maybe that was him, but no. Oh, yeah, wasn't yeah, no, him. I'm not aware of him, no. No, so, and, and your first session, was that like in the jungles of Costa Rica, or was it local? It was in the Laurentians in Quebec. Okay. Yeah, so he came up from Brazil, and uh, people over in Quebec organized it, and and away we went. And so then it was, I went to Brazil a few times after that, and just over the years, it was kind of an organic journey. From what you recall, the first time you do ayahuasca, do you recall how long it took to kick in, how long the journey, the trip was? Do you recall any of that? From right? my first time? Yes. Oh, it, for me, it was like within minutes. <laughs> it was within minutes, and it was it was a very strong experience for me. Um, and I, at, like, at one point I was lying on the floor, and, and then it dawned on me that, oh, that's what Sting was talking about. That's what I'm doing right now. <laughs> so... Yeah, it came back uh, and... Are you going back in time? Do you almost become like yourself, but the younger you, or do you become a different person? What was your experience like? Yeah, I had a lot of visions. Uh, you know, I saw like my DNA and I just, all kinds of, all kinds of things came, things around my ancestry, you know, visited relationships, seeing things from different perspectives, seeing myself from a different perspective, almost from like a higher self perspective. Um, and, you know, learning how to work with, with the medicine is, is, that's a journey. It's, 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 it's the earth, you know, the, the entity of, of the plants, you know, she's, they call her Larena, like she's the queen, you know, and she's very, very powerful and, and beautiful, nurturing. People have asked yeah. me like what meditation is like because uh, I was I was doing that for quite a while. I still do it. I still have my my practice, but I, I was going to temples for it. I was going to meditation classes, and you know it's that finding yourself kind of idea. And you could do do this anywhere really until you kind of let go of it and decide that you'll let the process take over you and what will come will come. But the way I describe it, it's almost like separating out from your own body, and you're floating. Your soul is floating over your body. Your body is still. But you're watching yourself and you're watching everybody else from a different place. And when you can separate out your soul from your body, that's when you reach that meditative state. I did that completely sober, by the way, but that took yeah. a ton of practice. Yeah. Like as far it as does. letting go, watching through the third eye and not overthinking it and doing the chants and the mantras and then eventually just you float. And it's amazing where you go. And sometimes you go very dark places and sometimes very happy places. Right. But yeah. you never know where it's going to happen. That's like that's like with the ayahuasca. You never really know. And but, no no experience is going to be the same. But when it when it uh, when the process is done, when the trip is over uh, and, and, and you're falling more back into your body, do you find you're ending up on a high or a low at that point? Or is each one different? You know, it's funny. I wouldn't even call it a high. I would call it contentment. Ah. It's like a it's like a deeply heart-centered place. That's a great place to be. Yeah. Yeah, it's soft and contemplative. 
And sometimes there can be inspiration, like people get these big like kind of downloads and, and yes, you can like, you know, really kind of go out there. Yes. Um, but it's important to not make big changes in life or big decisions uh, based on those experiences until you let them sort of marinate for a little while because, you know, bringing something from the spiritual into the embodied physical, you've got to kind of be discerning and wise about that. Yeah, I can't imagine making any major life decisions when you're done an ayahuasca journey, so to speak. Yeah. Well, it's kind of like with Vipassana, you know, some people like will have these big revelations and then they're like, I'm getting a divorce and I'm quitting my job. And even after yoga trainings, people have those kinds of experiences. And sometimes that works out okay, and that was meant to be their path. But sometimes you just have to slow down a little and really digest. It's funny. I I was at one point uh, going daily. I did the, the near daily practice like you did. And then I just started going every day. Yeah. And then it didn't matter if I was in an airport, uh, going to a hotel, if I'm on vacation, I'm going to find a way to get my daily practice in. And I made it up to 395 days in a row. Wow. And I went knowing I'm going to figure something out. I know that eventually it's going to hit me. I don't know exactly, but I know not really content with the way things are. And I'm going to keep practicing and I'm going to keep being out there and be a load of my thoughts. And eventually I'm going to kind of figure this out. And what I kind of figured out for myself was I'm not enjoying this life right now. I'm going through the motions. I'm trying to make everybody else happy, but I'm not happy. I'm in a dead end relationship and I'm in a dead end job and like this sucks. And I don't like feeling like this at all. And I just feel like I'm going through the motions and I'm not living. And that scared me. And I started bawling my eyes out. Mm -hmm. I remember before a class started because I said, I'm not afraid to die. I'm afraid I'm not living. Wow. I'm not, I'm really not living. Like I don't, Nothing. I'm like almost immune. Like yeah. I'm just going to go to the next day and the next day and the next day. And I made a decision at that point for myself. And, and you're saying that I'm thinking about it, but it was like, and for me, I, I didn't go and do it the next day, but that realization hit me at that point. And then the more time went along, I started making the plan and everything else. And I'm so thankful because if I hadn't gone and thought of that and put that plan into motion, I could have kept doing what I was doing and maybe had that realization 30 years later. Yeah. And it's like, wow. But at the end of the day, we kind of create our own bed, so to speak. We make that decision and we just make the decision is, do I want the safe route? Do I want to just go and keep doing what I'm doing? I know I'll make a living and I know I'll get by, but am I really happy? And one of my tests now, I'm in my 40s. I I have a very simple test. I call it the happy test. I'm like, does this make me happy or does this not make me happy? And if it doesn't make me happy, it can go away now. And if it makes me happy, then I'll do it. And that's it. It's not that difficult. But, you know, half my life, I would have never passed the happy test. Right. But but I I was making other people happy. Yeah, I get that. And that's sad. Yeah, yeah. I mean, on, on, on some macro and micro levels, I can identify now within the past being a, a pleaser and I didn't really see it. And it's amazing so many of us are, and we don't realize, like, we're trying so hard to help everybody else. We're trying to help our kids. We're trying to help our parents, our siblings, our clients. The one person we're not helping is ourselves. We're neglecting that one person. And by and I always feel, I tell people, if you're going to neglect you, who's going to take care of you? Nobody else will. Sure, they'll be there for you, but they're not going to take care of you the way you will. And if you don't love yourself, how are you going to give love to others yeah. if you can't even do it within yourself? 
And I think that's a very good segue to the other. It's funny, mm-hmm. these, the, these, all these areas, transformation therapy. So am I on the plane and all as far as transformation therapy and, and what that's about? Yeah, sorry. Where where is what is that exactly? Uh, that you're reading? No, I had it on a list oh, as far as the different genres of uh, oh, items that you yeah, yeah. That, that, that you're a part of. So yeah, so after taking my psychotherapy trainings, um, you know, I I was always deepening my my process and my own learning, and uh, you know, always always beware of a, a therapist who isn't doing their own work, for sure. Um, so I had to excavate some deeper things and came across a way of working and with ways that facilitated people doing uh, deep release work, like emotional release work. And um, so I, I did it with myself first and then incorporated it into my practice. And I know it's going to sound fluffy at first, but really doing, you know, I... I I used to try to do affirmation work. I didn't find it very effective. And so I was like, now I understand why, because I wasn't releasing the deep emotional patterns that I was running. And so when I released deep emotional patterns that I was running, that I kind of felt like, okay, I'm done with this kind of suffering right now. Yes. Then I was like, oh, now I have some space, and now I'm going to be like, how do I want to feel now? And it's not even want. How do I feel now? You know? What am I now? So because, okay, we walk around. If you think about, you know, affirmation, how often are people affirming, I'm not good enough. It's hard. Um, I always there's think of not that, enough. I think of that Saturday Night Live skit where the person would look in the mirror. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> do the affirmations with Stuart Smalley. Yeah, yeah. I'm good enough. I'm smart enough. And doggone it, people like me. People like but it sounds so <laughs> ridiculous. Yeah. But it's a thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But when you actually sit with the things you do, not you, but everybody, when we sit with what we affirm day to day, it's hard. Uh, I'm not good enough. There's not enough. I'm, I don't have enough money. I don't have enough time. Well, then that's going to be your experience of life. It's never going to be enough. So if you do change it and you're done with that old narrative, a whole new world opens up which is based on your own perception and that's your perception of choosing i feel like a person that comes to you uh for guidance for facilitation i feel like most people would benefit not just from one area that it's almost like the combo pack where they can start off in one genre move on to another one combine different ones that there's a lot more you know we're we're all so complex you can't put a label on one of us and say okay you're this type of personality so you need this cure it doesn't work like that you need to do many things try different things over a prolonged period to get that change yeah yeah like i think it's important to have you know it when a like i definitely work with an eclectic approach so i don't i'm not like some people are just one kind of therapy like you were saying you know that's what they do I'm very eclectic, so I bring in what I feel could be helpful for the person and the time. Uh, but then also having integrated care is, is is really important. And there's a lot of places where people can find integrated care, where their doctor, their therapist, they maybe they have a physiotherapist as well, and they're working together. And those are those are going to give you better patient outcomes or client I, outcomes. Yeah, I love that. Mm-hmm. 
Um, you, you wrote some very deep words uh, on your site, and I'd love to quote you if that's okay. Because okay. it really stuck with me. To love yourself is the work of a lifetime. Mm-hmm. To know what that really even means is a deep study. To love another in the most pure and unconditional way, with depth, caring, and true friendship demands that we love ourselves in this way also. When you become intimate with who you really are, then you can begin to appreciate whoever's in front of you in each moment of your life. That is so powerful because in everything we've discussed today, bring it up to full circle, I think this all comes down to so many people just don't love themselves. They don't want to put the work into their thoughts and who they are. And let's help others. Let's distract ourselves with whatever means we can, but let's not work on us. And by not working on us and we can't make ourselves the best that we are, how are we going to help others really at the end of the day? Yeah, yeah. Powerful question for sure. In my mind, I mean, with so many people you've worked we're going to blame our parents, you know, inevitably, which they'll say it's our fault, but it is your fault, you know, a lot of them in truth, because a lot of it starts from the upbringing at the end of the day, and that molds the children to who they are. And it's, you know, it's a whole genetics versus environment debate. And I was having also the debate with Steve last, it's funny, we get we're baseball talk, but we get into these very deep subject matters. But so, uh, so much environment is different. I told him, look, if I picked you up as a baby, and I put you in a jungle with, with baboons, and you grew up as a baboon, you'd be a different person than who you are today. That's just the way it is versus where you grew up in New York City. Mm-hmm. So there's so much to environment at the end of the day, but it's amazing. You know, I, most children, I think, are born with purity, but with their experiences, their environment, they carry that. And there's this common word, trauma. Mm-hmm. It's a word that, you know, was very taboo and we would not go there. But now, you know, thank goodness, therapy is more acceptable. People working on themselves and in my estimation, and from the people that really love themselves and take care of themselves, they'll openly admit, I'm dealing with my trauma. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to heal myself. I hear those terms a lot. And to be able to do that, then I can make it to my next levels. Those words, how much does that resonate with you? Yeah, 100%. 100%. Yeah, I mean, uh, what just comes to mind when you say that is, um, you know, in at the end of the day, Families are, and I don't, I'm not bashing families in any way, but families are foundationally dysfunctional, you know, because we all like have traumas. And so then we, you know, people come together, they have children, they have unresolved trauma. So then they're going to parent from that place. And then, and then the trauma happens early in life for those children. And then they have to work out their stuff and it just kind of keeps going. Right. And so when when it just it seems to be there's a shift happening now where, you know, younger people are kind of going, I don't know if I want to do it the old way. I don't know if I want to just sort of jump in and feel pressured to have a family like maybe I want to do some work on myself so that I bring more consciousness to the partner I choose, bring more consciousness to how I raise my children. And it doesn't mean like you're going to be perfect. It just means like that you're more aware of your unconscious stuff that it's been brought to the conscious so that you know you don't suddenly realize when your kids five it's triggering the stuff that you experienced when you were five and then you've become your parent with them you know what I mean that's kind of you can avoid some of that it's such a different day today like in the year 2022 versus 1970 
as far as people, how they identify themselves from a gender or non-gender, yeah. what couples look like, what families look like. And, you know, what was taboo so many years ago now is becoming more to the forefront and people are accepting and accommodating to that people have different needs and people feel different within who they are and that they're able to grow this way. But, you know, somebody that, you know, in the 70s mentality, it has to be a mom, dad, 2.5 kids. That's what it is. And if it's not, you're weird and you're wrong. You know that's a hard pill to swallow and yeah. that's you know and how many people had to closet that and how many had to shelter that and and, and live your life as a lie you know and yeah. you know be able to embrace people for who they are yeah you know but even if you are that mom and dad and 2.5 kids and to the surface oh this is the most perfect family you know they have a beautiful big house and they got two beautiful cars they take three vacations a year doesn't make them perfect you never yeah. know what's going on in their minds yeah. And when we talk about the parenting you know, standpoint, I talk about this with a lot with other parents. It seems like there's one of two choices. Either you're going to continue to the path of what you were taught. This is the way it was when I was growing up. So we're just going to carry that forward. Or for a lot of us, we want to be the parents that we never had. We want to yeah. be, we want our kids to grow up in a lifestyle and, and feel confident and good about themselves that we didn't have. You know, we want to break the cycle, so to speak. But it's inevitable how many of us break cycles and we still look back and we're like, that teaching was really ingrained within me. I sound like my mom. I sound like my dad. Yeah, totally. It's really, really hard to break away do, do, from do, that. Do. Yeah, right. But that's where, yeah. you know, between so many different therapies and, and different choices, what people can do, you know, they can break it just by, I always say, try something. Speak to friends. Ask around, you know. Take your journey. You can choose to go to therapy. You can choose to take a yoga class. You can go to a Buddhist temple. Do whatever you got to do, but do something. Anything you're doing is a start. And it's amazing how one snowballs to the next. Yeah, everything leads you to the next thing. Yeah, exactly. So if you could send a, a word of positivity or a message to the world today of where we're at today and where we're going, what would you like to say to the world? Hmm. I'd like to say that... Everyone matters and we can all have hope and that, you know, as, as difficult as the world looks in so many places, the children that come in now have to be equipped to handle it. And it doesn't mean that they should do it alone, um, but there's going to be something special and different coming out of them and we need to give them the space and the voice to come up with some of the solutions along with us i love that because mm -hmm. the truth is the future is the children you know it's as cliche as it sounds because we're not all gonna be around one day you know and those kids are kindergarten one day are gonna be running our country so in our in our planet so let's get them built foundationally i would yeah. say um people wanting to reach you natalia how do they do that um, so my website is my name. It's nataliabrajek.com. And that's probably the best place. Wonderful. My email address is there. Yeah. We, we'll, we'll put your website and your handle as well. And we were talking off air about, you know, wanting to have a private life. And I said to you, as soon as we're in the public space and we're offering goods or services or we're outreaching to the community, privacy is gone. That That's long gone. But we can still choose what we put out there or not out there, right? right? You know, we can still put in education and we can reach out. Yeah. But they don't have to see every time we go to the supermarket or when we're going on vacation, so to speak. Right. Yeah, exactly. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for taking the time out of your schedule today and for providing us uh, spiritualness 
and enlightenment and you're doing good on this earth mm. you're taking your journey in your path and you're helping others and i commend you for that and uh, i salute you to it so thank you and uh, look forward to having you back again and uh That'd be great watching your journey yeah thank you and if i could say um i'm a reflection of you so everything that you said to me i mirror back and uh i find you very curious and amazing conversationalist and uh just very engaging so thank you it was a good experience i appreciate that yeah. and I, the, the truth is even though i am that traumatic that that, that five-year-old under trauma i'm also that curious five-year-old peter pan that never wants to grow up wants to learn gets excited about things yeah. and no matter how much the world may try to beat me down or people may try to upset me i won't break i want to enjoy life i will find what makes me happy and I won't give up. Yeah, nice. That's the attitude. <laughs> so as we sign off, we do our flex. Yes, absolutely. And we say, keep living the chosen keep life. Keep living the chosen life. Love it. Cheers. <laughs> Cheers. <laughs>